Kell is up for the cup. City beat United to advance to their first FA Cup semi-final in 39 years. We look back on the fantastic win at the King Power in association with footballkitmarket.com. It's for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and this is a Leicester City podcast with Rob Hayes on the line, well not on the line, but on the other end of the for fox sake piece of string with a empty tin of beans on the other end and rob you are along with me a host of a lesser city podcast that is based on a team who are in the semi-finals of the fa cup for and i don't think it's been said uh, enough really how many years has it been since the last time we're in the semi-final and also the final because I think it's I think it's been mentioned probably once every five minutes in the last forty eight hours or so. It has indeed. It's it's only the thirty nine years since we were last in uh, an FA Cup semi final, and I just wanted to triple check before we came on it. And I, I knew this. I knew this anyway, but just wanted to triple check. It has been fully fifty two years since we were last in an FA Cup final. Now we're not going to sit here and get extremely carried away. However, say what you like about the semi-finals being at Wembley. We are going to Wembley and we are, as Brendan Rodgers himself said, now two games away from history. We are that. We are that. What a win. What a team. What a performance. Uh, it, it, just fa- fabulous. Absolutely fantastic. From start to finish, they were they were they were brilliant. Maybe the first ten minutes or so, but it was uh, it was just it was a it was a great watch because even though you're playing against Manchester United, there wasn't really that that time of the game. There wasn't a period of the game of of say a fifteen minute or a twenty minute spell. Maybe the first ten minutes aside, where Leicester struggled to get a foothold in the game. They didn't really have a chance. Uh, with United, because United were playing so well in that first 10 minutes. They just started on the front foot, and it took Leicester just a, a bit of time to get going, to get possession of the ball. But once they did, there wasn't really a spell of 15 or 20 minutes where you were really kind of worried about Leicester, that they were under the cosh. Every time United had a small three to a five-minute spell, Leicester all of a sudden would break and then actually have the better chance than, than United. It it really was a, a, a great watch, and all-round from 1 to 11, they're all fantastic. And this team, and I'm talking about this 3-5-2 without Madison and Barnes and, and the like, this team of this season is marching on. And at the moment, they've got the most informed striker possibly in the Premier League at the moment in, in uh, Kelechi Iheanacho. And... Um, it's just it's just absolutely fantastic to be in the semi-finals and to be playing so well, to be scoring goals, to be looking like scoring goals 
against any opposition. We mentioned last time against Southampton. Against Southampton, there you go. There's the first side that come into your mind, isn't it? Because of the, the draw and also the 9-0. But like the first against um, Sheffield United, that they could have scored nine and they looked so dangerous. Well, against United, they scored three. They, they could have scored five or six, really, to be honest. And I just love the way that they're playing. I love the formation. I love the... And I know, and we all know why they're playing these players and we know why they're playing in this formation because of necessity but it's working and it's really exciting and there we go end of the podcast what an abs- well yeah what is there more to say we're, we're gonna go obviously into a bit more detail but if you wanted a snippet of what the next hour or so is going to be about that's that's pretty much it it was such a thoroughly enjoyable watch on on sunday on bbc um and I've got to admit, I was quite nervous before the game because, as we said on the preview podcast, for, for me, the biggest game since we last played Manchester United on the last game of last season, in terms of what was at stake, in terms of what it means for the season, uh, for this season for Leicester City. Um, so, And then obviously what happened against Manchester United in the last game of last season, I was naturally quite nervous before the game First 10 minutes didn't do anything to put me um, at any kind of ease. Not that we were poor, but United started very well. And I think that was a very conscious effort of theirs to make sure that they didn't look like they had the hangover from three or four days um, prior. Three days, isn't it? To the Europa League uh, game against AC Milan. But after that, I didn't expect to enjoy that match anywhere near as much as I actually did. I... Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed watching. I thought every aspect of the performance was outstanding. And it is one of the best 90-minute Leicester City performances that I personally can remember. And to to do that in a in a game like an FA Cup quarter-final against Manchester United is a real, real testament and a big statement, I think, as to how far this team, this group of players, have come in the last, what is it, probably eight, nine months since that game against Manchester United as the last game of last season with all the delays, etc. It's a real mark of how far that team has come in a, in a short period of time. And it's really even more pleasing to be sat here and, and to be able to say wholeheartedly the le- that the level of performance was exceptionally high because last week against Sheffield United, uh, when we reviewed that on la- the last episode, we, we kind of had to say Leicester were brilliant, but it was against Sheffield United and they were really poor, bottom of the league. However, there are no buts for yesterday's game against Manchester United. It was Leicester City put in an outstanding performance, full stop. Thoroughly deserving of the win, thoroughly deserving of going through to play Southampton. We asked for a few questions on social media and, and we'll just try and uh, slot them in if the conversation kind of pans the way of the question. And um, and one from A View from LE2 was essentially what you just said was, uh, um, I guess, uh, does this feel the most satisfying win in Rodgers' previous 100 games, because, of course, that was the 100th game of Rodgers' uh, spell in charge. Uh, we've had maybe better wins, the 9-0, the 5-2 against Man City, beating Liverpool possibly uh, last month. 
uh, or a couple of months ago. But given the context, injuries and opponents uh, got to be up there as the most pleasing, satisfying, happiest of all of them. And I think so, because it's a it's all about what is going to what, what, what can happen in the future as well. You win away at Manchester City and it was a a brilliant win but because it was so early in the season there was no real kind of context to it and uh, I know we had a number of players out and and, and injured etc the 9-0 was just exceptional always will be but uh, I think that the Liverpool out of all of them I would I would pick out but this at the moment doesn't really top the lot but at the moment it might feel the most satisfying because as alluded to here, you look at the bench, okay, that's that's where you look at. You look at the bench and you see youngsters and you see uh, people who are in their final year of contract. That That's what you see on the bench, really. Um, you've got and, and maybe one or two returning from injury. It's it, There's not a lot there. So this is the best Leicester side that can be put out at the moment, and there's not an awful lot behind. Uh, once players come back, then yes, you're missing generally, what, four first-teamers possibly. So because of that, it adds a whole new level of kind of satisfaction. But also you throw into all the historical stuff which we mentioned regarding the FA Cup and Leicester. Uh, you also throw in United and this what I think turned into a little bit of a hoodoo over Leicester. And you go back to the draw this season against Manchester United. And we mentioned on numerous occasions the mentality. And I and that it's, it's all about mentality for me this season. And it might be a, a kind of a buzzword with, with Rodgers. And an easy thing to say, oh, the mentality has changed. And the, yeah, it, it, it has. Because you can't, you can't just play one season and fall away towards the end of the season with a team who have never been in that position before. And then the next season, once you're in the same position again and look like you, you, you've you progressed, you can't turn around and say it's nothing to do with mentality. It's all to do with mentality unless you've brought in four or five extra players. And and that's what it's about. I think that 2-2 two, that two, two draw was invaluable. It was not only a great point to get at the time, but also it just stopped that run of defeats against United. And, you know, the, 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 the win for them at the end of last season must have been a, such a damaging result mentally on these players when they even just when they walk out and and see the united side so this win will do wonders for that so you throw that into the mixture as well and also the the style of the win the the players who scored and who's man of the match etc and and also the the rest of the side and and the fact that the three defenders who played were playing for virtually the first time or what is it two or three times now that they've been in the side together and the whole thing, the whole package, just and, and also the players who weren't playing and their possibility of coming back in the not too distant future, it all just seems like it's coming together very nicely. And there's a long way to go, and there's lots of big games coming up. But uh, it was just so satisfying all round. It's uh, it it just it ticked every box. That saying I hate that I say every week, but it did, didn't it? It it put some hoodoos to rest. It was against United. It was on the BBC. It was great. It would have been better if Vardy just bagged one, though. That would have been nice. Would have preferred a clean sheet as well, but you can't have absolutely everything. You're right. There were so many considerations around this match. There were so many narratives that were being put through it um, that it wasn't just 90 minutes of football. Although it was, 
I know that sounds ridiculous. It was actually a 90-minute football match where two teams of 11 players kicked a ball around uh, some grass. Of course it was, but there was so much more on it than that. And you can say what you like. Um, the managers can say what they like about, oh, yeah, we just look at this game and blah, 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 blah. You can say that time and time again on the training ground, which Leicester had another week on, um, which I think showed in t- and, and had a huge impact on the quality of the performance. Um, you can say that as much as you like, but everybody is aware of all of those overhanging secondary subjects that are around the match and the reason why us as Leicester City supporters might have been feeling a bit nervous before the game, the reason why we have put this game in particular on such a pedestal this season um, and you obviously you don't need, well surely you don't need any other kind of motivation other than the fact that it's an FA Cup quarter final and a chance to get yourself in the last four and be another step closer to silverware but when you take into consideration everything else that you've just mentioned there, it makes it an even more significant victory. And what's even more pleasing than that is the fact that you could have had all of those things weighing down on you and it could have been a terrible, dull game that Leicester scraped 1-0. And we'd still be sat here. We'd still be absolutely delighted. Of course we would. And we'd still be saying most of these things. But... I think what adds an extra spring into City fans' steps on Sunday evening and Monday morning going into work today uh, is the fact that the performance was so emphatic and it put a lot to... Look, Manchester United's away record in the last 14 months is unbelievable. They haven't lost since, was it January last year? They haven't lost away and you finish that off. You you have the fact that Manchester United are historically and in terms of fan base one of the biggest in the entire world. Shut them up. The fact that it was second versus third in the Premier League, so an informed team. They'd just come off the back of beating AC Milan to progress in the Europa League. They won at the San Siro. Just absolutely everything. All of those boxes, all those Pete Selby boxes that were ticked were done so, not just with a tiny little tick, but with a proper stab the pen into the paper and do a massive, massive tick with whatever colour biro you feel like. Oh, sod the biro, I've got a massive sharpie on the go, do you know what I mean? A big, big tick all over the all over the team. It's just, it's it was just so satisfying. It was so, so good to watch. And you go through the goals, it, what they were doing for the first goal, no idea, but... Having that extra player, as we said last week, having the extra forward on the field in a central position, just being there, and and, and he was fantastic and alert to Fred's good old Fred, whatever he was doing, and um, and Kalechi was was alert to it, nicely rounded the keeper, and one nil, and then for the third goal, being alive at the. At the back of the penalty area, I'm not entirely sure what McTominay was doing. Just completely f- ignored the fact that he was there or never saw him. And he, again, just looked looked to his right and thought, well, there's a bit of, bit of space there. I'm just going to creep in the back post and, and head it in. Goal, 3-1 three, three, at the time. And, and then his all-round game, the, the, the aspect of his, of his game which is, is, is weakest, his g- genuine control, you would say, and... His um his passing, it's there's a lot to be desired there. It, there is, but 
that part of his game was absolutely fantastic. Um, one or two loose passes, but there you go. Doesn't doesn't really matter. The control was fantastic. That control over the top of his head was was superb. And then an instant pass into the channel for Vardy. He, he must have passed the ball in into again the channel for Vardy on three or four occasions, and he he, he just had a sensational game. Kalechi and Acho did it. It was just tremendous. Not only the goals, but all round looked incredibly dangerous. Looked alert. Looked sharp. Quick. Absolutely fantastic. Players can go on goal-scoring streaks, but this is just, at the moment, he, he's one of the first names on the team sheet. He really is. Such a shame for Vardy, because when he nutmegged uh, Maguire, great move, and then he dragged his shot wider than the near post, didn't he, instead of just going for the far corner. He's obviously short of confidence in front of goal. He just needs one to go in. You know, we, we all know with Vardy, as soon as one goes in, fine, absolutely fine. But he's still playing really well, isn't he? His all-round game is there. And they're working so well together. And you drop back through the rest of the team, it looks very secure. The back three had a really good game. Soyuncu had one of his best games since his return from injury. Uh, really dominating as he likes to do in a, in a two. He likes to be that man who he cleaned out one or two players in the penalty area for a cross towards the end, which was brilliant. And he had a great game uh, for Farner as well. Um, was very steady. Uh, slightly maybe caught out for the goal, but out-muscled by Pogba, which most a lot of players in world football will be. And they slightly switched off, and then there was a the dummy for the goal as well. It was uh, slightly slack, but... Um, but at the end of the day, it didn't matter overall. Great save. I think un- underestimated save by Schmeichel because they took the corner pretty quick, so we didn't really get a good replay of it. But uh, a very smart save by Schmeichel. And the rest of the team, Tielemann's goal, again, Tielemann's goal was down to the fact that there were two forwards ahead of him on the field because they were the players who dragged others out the way, especially Jamie Vardy. Pulled away to try and get space, but also it's half for him and half for Yuri Tillemans to stride forward. And a great shot low into the corner past the keeper. It was all round from 1 to 11. They were fantastic. I, it was it was just a pleasure to watch. And, and Kalechi was the star. He really was the star. And it wasn't just his finishing. It, it, it was, I think, his all round game which stood out, the aspects of his game which is improved and will it now be at this level from now on? Probably not. But as a 24-year-old striker, um, can he get better in those aspects of his game? Of course he can, because of the player he's playing alongside. He, at his age, was a shadow of the player who he is now, Jamie Vardy. And he's improved, improved, improved. So there's no reason why Kletchi Nacho can't improve that side of his game. And when he's as confident as he is now, he's, again, one of the most deadly strikers in the Premier League. Any striker who's playing in the Premier League who hits a run of form is always going to be dangerous. But someone like him at the moment, it's it's not just scoring the goals. It's it's this all-round play which impressed me. And... Uh, and it, it is fantastic. And it asks a few questions of what might happen in the future. But we'll just concentrate on the, the present for the meantime. There's a few questions regarding uh, what might happen in the future, which we'll come to. But what, what impressed you, Rob, most about uh, Kelechi? Was it his, his all-round game? It was. Are we allowed to call this podcast episode King Kel Episode 2? 
or something after last week's hat-trick heroics. Um, yes, all-round game is is what I'm... Well, obviously the goals. The goals are the ones that are things that grab the headlines. And then I heard the, the, the BBC were trying to recreate the Vardy-Ianacho partnership narrative, which I think was done very well last weekend against Sheffield United. And the questions were very similar. I think Ianacho even got a little bit bored of them. Um, but it's the all-round game. Every time the ball used to go anywhere near Ianacho, it's particularly his feet, especially if he was deeper in and around the halfway line before this streak that he's been on. Or maybe, maybe I guess before this season really because I've not, you know he had that patch where he where he was lacking a bit of confidence as Rogers has highlighted that but I think he's been better this season than than um in previous years for us uh, just by virtue of getting more games uh, I suppose but every time the ball went into his feet before you used to sort of think oh and not expect him to keep it you'd almost have resigned possession to the opposition already you'd think okay well that's has lost the ball now we've got into his feet and it used to get quite dangerous if he was coming so deep that he was on the halfway line or in the Leicester half and he wasn't able to look after the ball to concede possession there gives a real advantage to your uh, opponent he's way better now at receiving the ball his touch sometimes is still a little bit hefty but by and large he keeps the ball and not only does he keep the ball now, but now he's got that extra sharpness, that extra confidence. He is, as you say, able to bring the ball under control and bring other players into play positively. He's not just getting the ball with his back to goal and laying it back safely to a centre mid and saying, there you go, there's my job done. He's looking to turn where he can. He's looking to find um, positions where he can get on the ball facing the opponent's goal and there are a couple of times where he tried to release an early ball and he didn't quite execute it well enough. But a lot of our success against Manchester United came through the release of that early ball. And you would much rather see him try that than him hesitate for a second, the opportunity close, and him to have to check back and lay it back 10, 15 yards and, and allow Leicester to, to rebuild. Sometimes that's the right option, but I like the fact that he's confident enough to try and play forward passes to involve other players. I think that's a real pleasing aspect. Obviously, the goals are the, goals are, are the top. The goals are what he's in the side to bring. He's a striker. He's there to score goals. But everything else that he's doing in tandem with Jamie Vardy and Iosi Perez in the last couple of games, is having a hugely positive impact on the team. The goals have won as games, of course they have, but everything else he's bringing is what makes his name, I think, sharpied, to continue the stationary theme, on um, Leicester's starting eleven at this moment in time. And... As you say, there are some interesting questions about how does that look in the future. But right now, because of everything that he's bringing to the team, not just the goals, he is one of the first names on the team sheet. A good question here from Oscar. Um, I'll, I'll just read it out in, uh, completely. I know it might sound the usual jinx, but don't you think that Nacho 
has not done enough yet to secure his place in next season's squad. I've been advocating a couple of signings in the forward department over the last two or three years, and the last four games haven't changed my mind. I've heard the uh, uh, Inacho is on a hot streak story time and time again, so I'm far, so far uh, from confident that it's going to last. So essentially saying, is it just a little hot streak and we need reinforcements in that area? And is he going to be the player really to, to kind of pin our hopes on? Well, a very, very good question. I think first of all, really, Leicester will need another striker, at least one. I still think two. You're playing, hopefully, Champions League football. You looked at this this uh, season and Leicester getting knocked out of Europe the way that they did and with the team that they had available to play you need more options up front. It doesn't matter who who's doing what. It doesn't matter whether Vardy's scoring a million goals or whether um, Kelechi's scoring a million goals. It, it doesn't matter. You need an extra forward because we haven't got any. We genuinely haven't got any. So I think in terms of signings, it's not going to change my mind in terms of getting new forwards. It just, for me, it, it basically, it's all about him. It's all about this player. And... Does it convince me he can do this next season? Absolutely not. But then again, I'm not convinced that Jamie Vardy can play next season. They still will need to step up and actually do it on the field. If you can't do it, you're not going to be in the team, which is going to allude to another question in a minute. And so I just think, especially with a centre-forward, especially, it's the it's the number one, maybe apart from a goalkeeper, it's the number one place in a team where if you are in form... You play. If you're banging the goals in, you play. Uh, also, completely the opposite as well. If you're woefully out of form, then you can be quite easily changed around. If you're woefully out of form and a fullback or or even a centre half, say you you can, depending on who you play, kind of be hit or hidden away or or coast through a game or be helped along. But I think if you're a, a centre forward or a goalkeeper, you know, if you're a goalkeeper and you're woefully out of form, you know, sometimes the best thing to do is just just take him out the firing line for a, a week or two and um and, and just take the heat off them. And and the forward's the same. So with with Kleshi it's just a case of just keep this ball rolling. And who knows? He might develop into this. He might turn into this new 15-goal Premier League striker next season. Who knows? It, it really could do. Um, but I don't think it changed for me the, the, the transfer aspect. Does it? Does it change my opinion on, on him uh, at the moment? Of course it does. And, and with everyone because of this run of form. And, and he will deserve his place in next season's squad. And it shows that there is a real player there. So I, I, I think it just cements his place in the squad. But there's a bigger picture to look at. And one, and mainly because of Jamie Vardy. You've still got to replace that man. And um, they will need, I would like, two more centre-forwards. Uh, genuine central strikers next season. Because I think having four... Um, is what Leicester need. One of them maybe could be a youngster or an up-and-coming player who wouldn't expect genuine first-team football straight away. But um, we do need we need more. Yeah, I don't think the transfer policy changes based on this streak of Viennachos. I think what does change, in, in my opinion, is the fact that I can see a place in the named Premier League and Champions League squads for Kelechi Iheanacho next season. 
Whereas when we were talking about a low in confidence Kelechi and Acho um, earlier on in the season, and I don't mind admitting this, we, I'll, I will hold my hands up right now and I'll say, based on this form, he deserves to be in the squad next season. If you'd have asked me that a couple of months ago, I would have said, I would have said, if you've got the option to let him go and bring in the right number of players of the right quality in that position, absolutely go for it. It it puts a little bit of less pressure, I think, on Leicester to to buy two strikers. I completely agree with you, Pete. I think two strikers is is exactly what's needed, especially if this formation where there are two strikers on the field of play at any one time, if that continues to be even sporadically used, you need to make sure that you've got depth in that position. I don't think it changes that, but what it does do is it shows that he has the ability, Ian Acho, to affect games and therefore if he can be an effective player for Leicester City, then he should by right be in the squad for next season I'll tell you what else we seem to have learned about him since he's been sort of almost thrust into the limelight this is probably the most popular and talked about he's been since since he was playing for Manchester City or since he got uh, since he signed for Leicester City so it seems to me that we've learned a lot about his character as well that we didn't necessarily know before the fact how hard working he is how well-liked he clearly is by everybody in the squad, how much they appreciate what he does and how absolutely delighted for him they are when he has been turning out these kind of performances. So it's not even like he's... He's always seemed... Because he's quite shy, he's always seemed a bit of a sulker. He's got one of those faces that just look like he's constantly miserable. You never saw much joy on his face. And especially when he was lacking confidence, you didn't see any joy in the way he was playing. So... If he wasn't playing well, he wasn't affecting games and he didn't particularly look like he wanted to be there, then absolutely you would have said, no, don't don't bother wasting your breath on him. Uh, Let's bring somebody else in. But he seems to have matured hugely and is expressing himself on the pitch. We're learning more about how him as a person and it seems that he fits in really, really well with the squad. Um, He... He's given some very honest interviews recently where he said that Leicester City is is like a family. And we've heard that before, of course we have. And I think that's what sets the Leicester squad and the Leicester club, um, what makes us stand out from most other teams in the Premier League, if I'm being honest. But for him to say that and him to say that he feels like that, despite being a bit of an outcast, really, over the last... Well, in, in most of his Leicester City career shows he feels a real sense of belonging. So he's absolutely part of the squad for me for next season, for all of those reasons, as well as what he's contributing on the pitch. But no, it doesn't, in my mind, change Leicester's transfer policy, which absolutely, uh, I agree with you, needs to be um, one ready to come straight into the starting lineup striker and another that is prepared to play second fiddle, learn off of those already in that position and get a few chances and and sort of be blooded into the team over the next couple of years. Well, Dave asks a question which I think most people are kind of asking at the moment with this run of form and with this side is how do you think Barnes gets into the side when he's back fit? Three five two looks great with the personnel we have and Nacho's on fire. I think we have 
possibly four players after the current Perez spot, which is Madison, Barnes, uh, Perez and Pratt. It's it's a question. It's a great question to have, first of all, because it means that you've got options, and also you've got players back fully fit. Now, I'm a great believer in you don't change a winning side if you're playing really well and you're getting the results and convincing as well. Then why change it? Uh, does Barnes technically get in the best Leicester side? Yeah, if everyone's fit, then Barnes would do. But at the moment. I can't see a place for Barnes in this side. And I know we're, we're talking, who knows what can happen, say, when Barnes uh, comes back. Encouraging news, actually, on Barnes, mentioned by Brendan Rodgers, the fact that he's in the swimming pool and gym, etc. So it, it looks like he will be back at some point this season, which is something that we, we really did fear. So hopefully he'll be back, um, I don't know, maybe in a month's time or something like that. But uh, it, I don't think at the moment those three forwards, so you've got, Jamie Vardy, you've got Kletchi and Acho, and then you've got that number, which I still think is a number 10 behind them, a number 8, number 10, which is Iosi Perez. Now, I think Madison, first of all, takes over that role because it's perfect for him. He's played that all season pretty much, or a version of that role. It suits his game down to the ground. Having the two players in front of him, I can't see any reason why he can't just slot straight in. And he would be ahead of Iosi Perez for me. But he has to be fully fit and fully raring to go. Uh, but then where does Barnes play? That is a really difficult question. I just think you go go with the team you've got. If by the time... this, I mean, this would be ideal. This would be ideal. If by the time Harvey Barnes is fully fit, which is still a number of weeks away, probably four to five weeks away from being properly match fit and ready to go at the earliest I think if he, he doesn't get back in the side um, but what a great what a great question because I don't think he gets in the side if the side are playing well and what a great thought that the side are still playing so well uh, in this formation with this 11 or maybe added Madison that we don't need him in that first team and then what a great sub to come on but also when he comes back Instead of having to throw him in straight away, having the ability to bring him off the bench with half an hour to go, you're bringing Harvey Barnes on. Fantastic. That's what we don't have. That's what we didn't have yesterday. So at the moment, I just think it's a great thing to kind of discuss, but I think at the moment you just kind of go with the flow of what we got. It's a bigger question maybe for next season. I do like the formation. I think Brendan Rodgers likes it. I think this is his preferred formation. The back three are working well. They're working better. I still think it's work in progress regarding positioning, etc. Uh, I would, and this is a long way off yet, but Justin would be ideal in one of the wing-back roles and then Ricardo um, in the other wing-back role. So Ricardo on the right, Justin on the left. They would be... I think the first teamers when it comes to the wing back roles, and it would suit them both absolutely perfectly. That's still a long way off. Hopefully, Ricardo's back for the next game. But uh, I just think having Justin there would be a real bonus. Now, that's not going to be until Christmas, unfortunately, or just before. So, um, yeah, let's just go with it. It's a good question, but let's just go with it. At the moment, there's no need to rush him back when he is back, which is still uh, quite a way off. It is a great position to be in and let's be perfectly honest, it's a position that if Leicester City want to maintain 
their um their status as a team that is seriously contending for European football every season which you, if you're looking at medium and long-term objectives that's that's what we're aiming for now and that is something that I can see being sustainable when you look at all of the areas of development around the club and the squad the manager the the sort of vision that's in place then Leicester then we have to have a squad where nobody has the right to start because there's simply nobody else in their position and if Barnes does hopefully come back to full fitness before the end of the season then that's exactly the position that Leicester will be in and that is if you want to make that final step from having 11 good players or 11 great players uh, and the rest having to sort of fill in and you sort of having to deal with the comments that 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 Leicester are in the top four at the moment because some of the other, in inverted commas, big six have had issues or they've just had a bad season, whatever. How many times did we hear that after our title winning season? But, you know, in that season, if a couple of those players who played pretty much every game when you could reel off the starting eleven, if they weren't available for large chunks, then we'd be in probably in a different conversation. Now, you've just said that at the moment... We don't need Harvey Barnes. If you'd have said that before he got his injury, you'd have been laughed out of here because he is in the form of his life. James Madison, knocking on the door of an England call-up. I would agree with you, Pete, in this system. he There is a position for him to slot straight back into and when fully fit and sharp, you'd start him over Perez any day of the week. But Barnes doesn't get into this formation. And... I completely agree with you. Having him on the bench gives you a real attacking threat because, let's be perfectly honest, if we were chasing the game against Manchester United yesterday, then there wasn't anybody on the bench who was going to come on and chase it for us, was there? Let's be perfectly honest because you got a goalkeeper, a defender, two defensive midfielders, a slightly more attack-minded central midfielder, a mid-30s defender a teenage defender, a teenage attacking midfielder or early 20s, whatever Lesha Bella is, and then a right back from the youth squad. There was nobody going to come on and chase the game for us. So to have somebody like a Barnes on the bench, and we've proved this season, Leicester City have proved this season that they can adapt tactically and formation-wise in games. So let's say you are in that position where you need to uh, be a little bit more expansive going forward. You pull off one of the centre backs. You took one of the wing backs into. You took the wing backs into full back positions, and you bang Harvey Barnes on. In this shape, or a, something similar to this shape, the only way I can see him fitting in, if we are playing with three centre backs, two wing backs, and two central midfielders in Ndidi and Tielemans, who by the way are both world class. Um, and I had several people who aren't Leicester fans texting me over the um, yesterday evening saying, watched Ndidi for 90 minutes for the first time, or, you know, only ever seen him on, like, match of the day or whatever. Absolutely incredible. One of the best players in the world is what one of, my, one, uh, one of the texts came from a, a Sheffield Wednesday fan, Luke, who was disappointed he didn't read his three-word review out last week, Pete, but we'll let that one slide. Um, 
I can see Barnes fitting in possibly if you played three centre-backs, four across the middle, that's the two wing-backs, Tielemans and Ndidi in the middle, and then if you played two players supporting a central striker. So maybe you could have, yes, Barnes is better wide on the left and attacking full-backs. You don't know whether he's going to go on the inside or the outside and he could naturally drift that way a little bit, especially if the left-sided wing-back because we haven't got a left-footed one, really, have we? If it's Castagna or Justin, they would be naturally drifting inside onto their right foot, so Barnes could stretch it by moving out to the left. If we played a 3-4-2-1, rather than the 3-4-1-2 that's being employed at the moment, that's the only way I could see Barnes fitting into a shape similar to this. Otherwise, he's super sub. Yeah, and... Uh... Again, it's it's a way off, and we'll we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, on about the three word reviews, uh, why not go with them now? Um, we've got Caesar Sarah, which I think everyone was singing. It's and and we've not mentioned the fact about the fact that we're not going to be there, but that's just in the general knowledge, and we'll just wait and see what happens when it comes to uh, to crowds returning. So. We've got Perko with Imagine uh, Selby screaming and and uh, Manu Who. We've got Viva Wilfred and Didi. We've got Simply Dominant Excellence uh, all over Manu. Better midfield one. There you go. Uh, deserve the win. Shame no fans. Uh, big game marker. Uh, Inacho is messy. Uh, never doubt Nacho. Uh, F off Maguire. Uh, plenty more along those lines. Uh, let's go over to the old... Facebook, talk amongst yourselves. Uh, so we're going to we've got seven on here. Uh, we've got uh, Inacho and Tielemans, immense back three, completely outplayed United, absolutely fantastic team. Nacho's on fire, absolutely magnificent performance, and uh, fill your own blanks for two, and then great. <laughs> so everyone, I I think it was, it, and again, it's because it's the cup. Because it was on the BBC, something slightly different to it. You know, you got Gary Lineker there with, with, with Big Dion, who did us a right favour. Hopefully, touch wood and all that with the draw. Um, and it it was just special, weren't it? It all added to the the sense of occasion, even though there wasn't the fans there, etc. Just talking about the draw. So Southampton in the semi-finals. Now, not being funny, who are you going to have? Who who do you want? Do you want Southampton or do you want either Chelsea or Man City? It's an absolute no-brainer. And saying that Southampton is the best draw doesn't mean that you're jinxing anything or you're disrespecting Southampton or not at all. It's just a complete obvious thing to say. And as soon as Leicester were drawn out, what the first number, Leicester shouted at Dion, come on, Dion, do us a favour. And then he draws out Southampton. Fantastic. So, yeah, Leicester-Southampton. Bring him on. Good old Leicester lad doing the draw with a Leicester lad supervising. Couldn't have gone any better, could it? Yes, everybody says, you know, if you're going to win a cup, you've got to beat the best teams, whatever. Yeah, you have, but you might as well work with the percentages. Who are you more likely to beat? Southampton, Chelsea or Manchester City? Uh, Southampton, of course you are. So, absolutely the, the perfect draw. And... Look, if you're losing the semi-final against Southampton, it's going to be hugely disappointed. Of course it is. But you'd be equally disappointed, probably, if you lost in the semi-final to Chelsea or Manchester City. What it also does, I guess, is if you wanted to play a big team in a game in the FA Cup, 
surely you'd want it to be in the spectacle of a final. You know, get get Southampton... If it, if it was a Leicester-Southampton final, would you be as up for it as, as Leicester-Man City or Leicester-Chelsea? Of course you'd be properly up for it because we've we've opened the show by saying that it's going to be Leicester... It could be, could be, stop getting ahead of myself, could be Leicester's first FA Cup final in uh, 52 years. But you would... You, there's that extra, extra tiny little bit of stardust, I guess, on the on the spectacle of an FA Cup final if it's against a Chelsea or a Manchester City. One of the inverted commas are coming out again, big clubs. So I don't know. I don't know about that. I I, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. But I think that would maybe apply if you were there. I'm I'm going on the basis of it's Southampton fantastic. In the final, if they were playing Barnsley, with great respect to them, or Cambridge, I wouldn't care. It's uh, it, I know what you're saying. You beat if you if you win. I think it applies if you win. If you play, let's just say Leicester get through to the final and they play Manchester City, it would be a game where all Leicester fans would be dying for Leicester to win. You know, screaming for Leicester to win, but. In the knowledge that they're playing one of the best sides possibly in Europe at the time. You never know. They might be in the Champions League final. They probably would have wrapped up the Premier League. They might have won the FA Cup, uh, the League Cup, and they're going for the quadruple. Who knows? Um, this could be, I don't know whether this is the game before the Champions League final. So it could be the second last game for them to go and win all four. If that's the case, which is absolutely not out of uh, all realms of fancy is it that's arguably the most likely option that Leicester will play in in terms of odds as well Leicester will play Man City in the final and if that's the case there will be that slight feeling in the back of everyone's mind that if they do lose to Man City it's not like you've lost to Tranmere in the League Cup final in the year 2000 for example when you're overwhelming favourites there is that kind of everyone's lost to Man City this year. Um, and if they then win, I think it adds something to it. But at the moment, I, you know, they if they were playing Shepshire Dynamo in the final, then it would have been fine with me. Split loyalties there. But uh, yeah, it's 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 something to look forward to. And it's actually quite a long way away, isn't it? You know, it's about the 17th or so of uh, April. So it's actually, it's not, you know, two weeks time or three weeks time. There's actually a, uh, quite a while to go until the uh, until we really can properly preview the the semi final, which is good because there's uh, there's plenty more really uh, to be looking at with Leicester and uh, and the final question actually just uh, the final question sent in from Daniel uh, a good question another goal from a dead ball cross will Madison be back on corners etc when he's fit again uh, he has a poor conversion rate and I'd rather see him lurking around the edge of the box with Albrighton or Yuri Tillemans delivering. It's a good question, and uh, when I saw this, I was trying to think of whether you would automatically then just put him back on, as the question says. I, I think the answer, I think it's yes, and I think you've got to look further back in the side, and you look at that back three, and also with Wilfred and Didi. So at the current time, and Leicester over the last what four months or so three or four months they've had a few sides out because of injury where they've been lacking in heights 
really lacking in height. And we've focused on that quite a few times, haven't we? And you now look, you've got three centre-halves who are all very good in the air. They all can win a ball um, and they all can defend the ball and they all can attack a ball. And then you throw Wilfred and Didi in there as well. And maybe Castagna as well, who's not uh, the smallest player in the world. All of a sudden, Leicester starts to look fairly decent in an attacking sense. You also have Kaleshi Inacho, who can busy himself in the area. You've got Jamie Vardy, obviously, up there as well. So, all of a sudden, there's more options. Now, the ball needs to be put in the right place. Yes, obviously. But I would just go along the lines of, maybe it's because we have more of a, a potent back line going forward in the air, rather than what we had before. Now, first of all, the, the set plays were absolutely dreadful. They really were. And I hope that Madison's watching and maybe going, look, you know, it's part of his game. And surely this is the case, that he knows that they have been poor. But I think with the now abundance of targets in the penalty area, you could maybe put the ball into an area rather than trying to be so precise because there's only maybe one or two players to pick out. He's trying to be too precise and there's a high chance that it, if it doesn't work to an exact percentage, then it's easily clear, say, at the near post or it goes too long, which has been the case, hasn't it? Every Leicester fan knows that. But now there's more attackers in the penalty area, more big men in the box, essentially. Let's just put it how it is. There's more big men in the box, so you can actually just go, right, my area is not just one person. It is an area to hit. So hopefully he's got more of a degree of uh, of error, really, in his set ball, uh, set ball situations, his dead ball situations. And he can then deliver. And fingers crossed that will be the case. And I think that's what will happen. I think Madison will come back in the side and he'll just take over. And I think we will be scoring more from set plays. We might go on a bit of a run. And you might get to the point of when we do get a corner, all of a sudden, up starts to jog Gagla Suenshu. Up jogs Johnny Evans. And up jogs Wesley Fofana. And you're thinking, here we go. And then Wilfred and Didi's in there. And their bat line goes... Crikey, all right there. Look at look at these lads coming forward. Just like what we've been thinking every time the opposition get a corner and their centre half jog forward, and we're thinking, oh my god, that should be now the other way round. And hopefully, Madison's sitting there watching this, going, I like the look of our back three coming forward. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Well, we have got a few more six footers in the in the team that we had. Uh... Uh, a few months ago, that's that's absolutely right. I don't personally think that it has to be as definitive as a does Madison is Madison on set pieces or off them. Why can't you change it up? Because Tielemans isn't ever present in the team, and we know he's got a good technique. Or Brighton has found himself in the in the starting lineup more often than I think anybody imagined this season. So maybe you say to Madison, look, you're you're wearing the number 10, you're the flashy one, you're the one who is always talking about how many hours he spends on the training ground perfecting his dead ball situations. You take the first couple, but mate, if you scuff them and you don't clear the first man um, for the court for the first couple of corners, give them back to Albrighton or, or Tielemans and just say, all right, Madders, it's not your day, you pull the strings from somewhere else. I, I agree with the, the point made in the question as well that Madison would be a very good candidate for someone lurking on the edge of the penalty area to 
either put back in with some quality, another ball, or to have a pop at goal from uh, just outside the penalty area. And, you know, he, he gives you another dimension that way. I think you're right. I think because of the the confidence and the attitude that Madison has, I don't think it's in any real doubt that he will be the person that grabs hold of the ball whenever there's a corner or a free kick um, to be taken. But I don't think it necessarily has to be just him because let's say you get five or six corners in a game and he only manages to get one of them into the area. Whereas all Brighton, more often than not, will put it into, as as you just alluded to there, Pete, an area. And yes, you've got players who are now more comfortable attacking the ball than than the the way that the squad looked in the earlier stages of the season. So that would be absolutely fine. We saw a couple of change-ups with short routines, which had varied success. But share the load. Don't put all the pressure on Madison. Don't then make all of our set piece troubles be completely his fault. If if they do, if they did continue to to be a sort of barren area for for goals, let him start on them. But then say, look, you got all Brighton, you got Tielemans. We can vary it. You, the the opponent then doesn't necessarily know um, what kind of cross they're going to get in because Madison's always going to try and whip one with pace, isn't he? Whereas all Brighton's balls don't tend to have as much pace on them, so it it might also keep the opposition guessing. But I don't I don't think it has to be as clear cut as a yes he takes them or no he doesn't. I, th- I think you, you you throw King King Kalechi in there. I, I mentioned him, but just thinking about it now, you've got the goal against Brighton to take us through to the game against United in the FA Cup. That very late goal. Yes, it was Yuri Tillemans but he was there in the box. Uh, You've got the goal against United. Uh, You've also got free kicks where training ground routines would tend to involve him and he becomes very alert. He's that extra player in the penalty area. I don't think you can underestimate. I know the goal against Brighton and the goal against United were from a combined two yards out, but he was there. I think his added presence, if you maybe the the person lurking on the edge of the penalty area, it's probably surprised if it's all of a sudden he, he just pulls off to the edge of the penalty area and all of a sudden the ball's played to him. On the the form he's in, that sort of thing you can do when you're full of full of confidence. It's uh, whatever you do kind of works out. And again, just having that extra forward as well really does help. It's uh, it sounds crazy, but. Just having an extra centre forward in the penalty area, maybe just diverts the attention of a centre half away from another player, or or, or whatever. It's um, or maybe he just is so quiet that he does stand at the back post, and the entire Manchester United defence completely ignores him or forgets that he's even there. It's uh, it's it's just all working out for him at the moment, isn't it? And hopefully, long may it continue. Now. Away from the football, and we're not really going to go into it in, in all, uh, an awful lot of detail. The financial results for Leicester actually were released the other day, um, and and really the headline is they made a pre-tax loss of sixty-seven point three million to the year ending at the end of May twenty twenty. So it's twenty nineteen twenty twenty, and um, that was up from twenty million. And there was 
there's many different reasons, but the club highlight the fact that um, obviously what happened at the end of last season, etc., um, contributed to it. The turnover was down by uh, 28.4 million was the deficit. So if you add that on, and then also the that they had to hand back money and they were significant, say, match day revenues and all sorts of bits and bobs that way, they they do add up. And the the one thing I look out for, especially on on Twitter, if you're on Twitter, um, follow the Swiss Ramble, uh, who goes really a deep dive, a huge deep dive into football finances for um, individual clubs. And he hasn't done the Leicester figures yet, so I'd imagine it'll be a few weeks' time, but he puts them all in graphs and really explains it uh, in great detail, but also in a very basic level, which is great for me. Um, so I'm just going to wait for that. But at the moment, I don't think it looks as bad as it could be. It's um, It also just underlines the, the long-term supports that King Power is providing because they're still providing money uh, for the football club. It really It's nothing new, really. Um, I think there's going to be clubs in a huge amount of bother compared to what we're in with these figures. I don't think these are that bad at all. Next year, that might be a bit of an issue, but then again, if we're qualified for the Champions League, etc., and... You know, we, we, we regarding transfers, etc. It's it's not the biggest outlay post season, which I don't think it will be. I think there will be money to spend, but I don't think they're going to go and spend, you know, a hundred million pounds. Um, I don't think these figures are that bad at all. Really, it looks bad when you just see sixty odd million quid, but uh, when you look at it in more detail, you kind of go, "Yep, that's from that. That's from that." And of course, the training ground as well. So um, I'm going to wait for the old Swiss ramble to do a deep dive and see what's what, and look at historically and add in. Um, you look at the training ground, also transfers as well. It's all very well saying, "Oh, yeah, you get seventy odd million or whatever for Maguire and and whoever Chilwell as well." Now. Are, where does that money come from? Uh, sorry, when does that money uh, arrive? Is it upfront? Is it in instalments, etc.? And that will be interesting. That's what you want to see. You want to see whether Chilwell's money was upfront or whether it's in ten million a season. Who knows? And that's what I wait for. So yeah, the figures are out. And to be honest, I looked at it and had a quick peruse of the details and went. To be honest, it could have been a lot worse, and it's not that bad. Don't need a deep dive. Got Pete the Bookie on it. Pete the Bookie knows his figures. Um, one other thing I wanted to, to point out there, um, I, like you, have just read the, the club sort of blurb on this. It didn't utilise the government's job retention scheme uh, and paid, kept all permanent staff, didn't let anybody go, paid the wages of casual match day staff, and I think those people, casual staff, zero hours staff, um, events industry staff who have been hugely affected by um, by the pandemic um, have been well supported by the club by the looks of it um, and also the fact that it says that most much of the club's um, human resources were, were deploy, uh, deployed as, uh, as part of the community response as well and we know um, and we've waxed lyrically on this podcast about how brilliant uh, a community club Leicester City is so you know those 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 things alone. You know, if if the club had lost, and and it has done as 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 a sort of factor within these these losses, but if the club had lost millions and millions and millions of pounds because it's supporting people, uh, most notably its own staff, and also the wider community through human resources and logistics and operations that kind of thing throughout this 
very difficult year for everybody, then you you've got to be proud of that. Surely you've got to say, look, this has come out of the the club's pocket. The club is financed by King Power. It's financed by Top. Let's be honest. Top's basically put his hand in his pocket and spent millions and millions of pounds, obviously on all the infrastructure stuff that we talked about a lot, but on paying people who weren't working at the time, on supporting the community through a very tough year, and it's yet another reason to be proud of Leicester City. Yeah, I I think that needs to be reiterated quite a lot. The job retention scheme, you saw the horror stories when Liverpool and Arsenal and Tottenham, who got the loans as well, hundreds of millions of pounds, and and all that, you know, really sour kind of taste. And it's all very well for clubs to go, oh, we're a community club. Oh, yeah. Well, it's all very well saying it, but how? You know, what, what, what do you do? I mean, when Liverpool did that, fair play to the fans, because the fans straight away went, hang on, what are you doing? And then the, the club were forced to, to, to make the U-turn. Um, Tottenham. Um, utilising government loans, essentially. Um, and, and they can turn around and say, yeah, well, we're going to pay it back with interest. But hang on, there's there's a sporting integrity angle to that, which I, I didn't like straight away. I was like, hang on, you can't just build a, a brand new stadium and then turn around, because this was straight away as well. This wasn't even, uh, you know, six, seven months into the pandemic. This was straight away going, oh, no, we're in dire straits. Hang on. How can you be in dire straits straight away? That's that's ridiculous. But so uh, yeah, you can be certainly proud of what Leicester have done. And I don't know the ins and outs in terms of they mention about the, re- the retention of match day staff. So instantly you think stewards and uh, people in kiosks, etc. Whether that's the case, whether everyone's been paid for every game that they would have worked. If that's the case, which just looking at that sentence, it tends to believe that that would be the case. If it is, it's fantastic, isn't it? Imagine that every home game and you're that's one of maybe a couple of jobs you do or even a part time job for whatever reason and you're getting paid. Fantastic. What a what a great thing. And also not utilising even though they've made a loss, they've gone, look, we're not gonna take out any any um any furlough essentially. We're not going to uh, we're gonna basically run it ourselves. We're gonna we're gonna inherit the cost, we're gonna, you know, suffer the consequences. But then again, in the great scheme of things, is it when it comes to a football club, the be all and end all? And this was my point really with Spurs. If they take out a loan like that, if they then go and spend thirty million pounds on a player in the next year or two, I'd be absolutely disgusted if I was a Tottenham fan. And I'll go, Well, hang on, you can't do that. You literally cannot do that. And so with Leicester, if they spend X amount of money paying their staff and not utilising furlough and also then paying staff who are only on zero hours contracts because they work uh, only on match days and then when it comes to the transfer window we decide that we can't buy X player or we go for one player instead of the other because he's 15 million and not 25 million that's the way it should be and that's what I didn't like about Arsenal Tottenham and ultimately what Liverpool um, would have done is they would not have stopped and blinked in buying a new player when if you're buying if you're getting loans off the government you should have to pay that back before then you spend anything in terms of transfer fees because that's essentially what it would be used for in my eyes so uh, 
So yeah, there you go. <laughs> little little rant. Pete's little rant. Shall we move on to something slightly less serious and do fantasy football? Oh my god, here we go. Yes, there's actually quite a, a few little things to go. We'll do. I tell you what, we'll do. We'll do fantasy football in, in, in a minute. There's just um, a couple of things. One, um, do you remember? Do you remember Bruce, the competition winner, Rob? <laughs> poor, poor old Bruce. Um, who uh, I've I spoke to today via Twitter. Um, I got confirmation today that they will be. Um, there's no more stock arriving of the maroon shirts. So we've been waiting for the maroon shirts to arrive, and um, and the club I've kept on um, tweeting and, and and emailing, and they kept on saying there's no no stock at the moment, no stock at the moment. Um, and then today got confirmation that there won't be any more stock. So. Um, so Bruce is not unfortunately going to get his uh, maroon shirt. He's going to go for a blue one. So I need to get on that as soon as this podcast finishes. Actually, I'll get that sorted for Bruce. So uh, thanks very much for your patience and understanding. I said, I said to him, I says, uh, have a look at the the retro range if you <laughs> if you want one of them or whatever. Um, but um, yeah, he's going to go for what? Going to go for the blue one. So um, so there we go. Uh, and um, and also. Um, do you remember our mate who plays over in uh, in Louvren? Um, is it Kamal Sower? I do. The bloke you'd never heard of. The bloke I've never heard of, who's going to be a superstar next season. He's he's been called up for the is it the Garner squad, and, and a few few comments banded around that they've called up this young superstar, and everyone's completely ecstatic about him and looking forward to seeing him play for his nationals. I think this is this is unbelievable. This this could really be a story next season if this guy just rocks up <laughs> a little bit way and and ends up being you know scores on his debut on the opening game of the Premier League season. It'll be fantastic, wouldn't it? This guy's playing for he's going to play for his country. He's, I don't think he's I don't know he, he would have never been at the new training ground. I don't know if he's been to the King Power before. I've never heard of him. But um, it's exciting, isn't it? It's it's like a new signing. Um, I mean, I don't know whether it's everyone else has heard this guy. I'm pretty sure I've got I've just not been kept out of the loop, and he's he's well known among City fans. But uh, yeah, I think it was um, is it Canadian Fox's message on uh, on Twitter as well saying about since we mentioned he's been called up to the national squad. So I think we might have assisted his uh, his his rapid rise through the football ranks. That's what we're going to go with anyway, Rob, because surely that's the case. Anyway. How about the fancy football? Play that music. All change this week in the For Fox 8 podcast Fantasy Football League because of many teams not playing, certain teams playing, and also we're actually doing this after a complete week, so there aren't any games playing tonight or half of the games been played, etc. So this is a complete league. And as we stand up into 10th place, we've got Ben Melbourne with Vini Vidi Vardi, 1,823 points. Down into 9th place, John Follows with JFC Leicester, 1,831 points. Up into 8th place, it's Jack Royal with Handbags and Mad Cags. How about that for a name? 1,835 points. Up into 7th place, we've got Gareth Bell with Bulldogs Forever, 1,848 points. Up into 6th place, uh, Tyler Hunya with Team Lau, same amount of points, 1,848. Bit of a gap. Into 5th place, down into 5th place, Joe Healy, Les Dennis, 1,895 points. Up 
into fourth. Max Magnussen uh, with Rav Saxon, 1,899 points. And the top three down into third. Luke Taylor, Taylor made 1,909 points up into second place. A great week for Humza Yazdani, FC Mordor. 1,932 points and still top, but the lead is down to nine points. Sam Lau is out in front, 1,941 points. So all change, a few new names, uh, a few names reappearing actually into the top ten as well because it was such a... A random week, I mentioned last time, because it was only, what, six games or five games or whatever played. Um, you've got the likes of Humza Yazdani in second place now. You've got 82 points. Um, Jack Royal, Handbags and Madcags, great name for a team. 88 points when I think the average overall, the average was 25. Now, obviously, we're talking about the top of the For Fox 8 podcast uh, league here. So everyone were getting 50s and 60s. But to get 80-odd points was uh, really good. I thought I had a really good week. I got 61 points. Um, so I was up into 20th. I thought I was going to be uh, approaching the top 10. But again, playing against some uh, some good players here. I'm in 20th, as I said, 1,799. So I'm only 24 points off the top 10, not bad at all rob the dream is still alive for you pete the top 10 dream for one of our representatives of the podcast to uh, be in uh, any kind of respectable position that dream is still alive i had a solid week as well actually i got 55 which um is significantly higher than average and significantly higher than most of the people who are around me in the For Fox Sake Fantasy League table, most of whom I'm sure, from looking at their teams, completely forgot to do anything about the fact that there were only three games on in the game week. Um, I was, I am now only 20 points away from my poor, my sad goal of getting into the top 100. I climbed up to 106. I climbed about 20 places this week because uh, I, I managed to field nine players out of 11, which when I did it all with free transfers and no uh, and no chip played, I, I was pretty pleased with. It. I know you. I think you got nine out as well, didn't you, Pete? Um, it my cause wasn't helped by the fact that both Dawson and Socek both scored own goals for West Ham and both were in my team, but I still managed to come out with um, a very respectable fifty-five. Um, would only have got a little bit better if I'd captain Lingard instead of Kane, but. I'm I'm fairly happy with my week's work, and as I say, if I can get into the top 100, then you know it's it's slightly more respectable. Yeah, I, I captain Lingard, which which obviously worked out very well. Um, you captain Kane. Looking at Spurs, I know they picked up a, a win at Villa. Villa just look they they're missing Grealish, really, aren't they? But um, yeah, they played play with the two forwards, didn't they? I wonder if we're sparking a bit of a of a um, of a revolution in the Premier League of of, of uh, uh, the new trend of having two centre forwards. That's uh, Vinicius, who whatever he does in his Premier League career, especially with uh, Tottenham, he, he for me will always be remembered as the guy who scored a tap in from about six inches out against Marine. And celebrated like it was the winning goal in the World Cup final to make it 1-0 after about 20 minutes of the game. I don't remember that. Unbelievable. I don't know whether that's his actual 
kind of trademark celebration. He went mad. I know it's it maybe his first goal for Spurs, but come on, you know. He ended up scoring, I think it was a hat-trick in that game, including a, a decent chip, but just to tap the ball in and to do that, I was like, hang on, the guy's mad. But, um, yeah, all changed toward the top and uh, becoming uh, quite, uh, quite interesting. Right, so there's quite a, a distance now between our next game, so Man City in the Premier League, then West Ham, then a... Should be a, a decent run of fixtures, so we won't do any previews for those games because they're in the, the distant future. Fingers crossed everyone comes back from uh, from international duty, and we'll just have to keep tabs on who's what and what's who, and, and you can throw in the old quarantine situation as well. That's what you don't want, isn't it, Rob? You don't want Leicester not being able to field players because of administrative errors or anything to do with any quarantine issues or whatever you know you just you want everyone to come back and the obvious is picking up injuries on international duty you think I mean you look at someone like um Yuri Tillemans for example with Belgium I know there's three going over there I think Dennis Pratt it's good that he was he's going so he can get some hopefully competitive football you can imagine it'll be the case and um they've got three games <laughs> so I don't know I mean who England are playing and when they're playing and whatever I ain't got a clue no idea um, and actually, to be honest, I don't really care at the moment. But um, it's cause it's all about the FA Cup, isn't it? It's uh, it is worrying. I don't think for a second he'll play every minute of those three games. You, you just can't, can you? So um, you just want everyone to come back safe and sound, and then we can preview the Manchester City game with a full expectant side led by King Kel. Mm-hmm. 